Father God, we thank you for this day. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Father God, what a joy to be with your people, part of your body, in your house, praising your most holy name. We worship you, Lord. We pray, Father God, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Father God, anoint me to speak your words. May it be nothing of me and all of you. Have a, help us to have hearts that are open to receive your word this morning, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it is good to be amongst you this morning. And uh, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it speaks of the Apostle Paul talking about running the race running the race to, uh, do you not know that all those who run, run in a race, but only those, only one receives the prize, run in such a way as to receive the prize. And he talks about disciplining his body and making it his slave, so that after preaching to others, he may not be disqualified from the prize. And then he immediately goes on from there into speaking about the Exodus account. And John was talking when the children were leaving that the Exodus has happened, but the Exodus is happening in our lives all the time because the Exodus account is a template is a plan of our salvation journey today and I, I fear often in the church today we have a very low view of salvation in many many churches I've been in salvation is considered a very light thing it's almost like you pray a prayer you, you respond to an altar call and you are saved and that's all we ever talk about salvation but as far as I see in the word of God, salvation is a tremendous process that the Lord is enacting and working out in our lives day after day until the day of glory when Christ returns. And it is, and the, the whole Exodus account is put there in the Old Testament as a, as a plan, as a, as, as a template to teach us today how that salvation works from start to finish. It's a journey. We're all on a race. We're on a journey. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's a marathon with a steeplechase and obstacle course and all sorts of things in the way. But it's a journey and we need to have that mentality. Often in churches today, it's almost like you, you come to the faith and that's salvation done and dusted. And from then on, it's just about getting people into church as, as you've gone to church and paying your tithes and ticking the boxes and that's about it. But the, the Bible doesn't speak of salvation in this way. Salvation is a journey. It's a process God is working and enacting in our lives day after day. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, in light of this journey we are on, this race we are on, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. And in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example and were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Everything that happened in the Exodus account was written down for our example. I don't know about you, but that puts the fear of God into me. The whole event was divinely orchestrated and sovereignly ordained to teach you and I lessons today. And what I want to really focus upon this morning is the verse, verse 3. They all ate the same spiritual food. The same spiritual food. 
Spiritual food. What is spiritual food? What, what food did the children of Israel eat in the wilderness? Manna. Was manna something that was some ethereal, ghostly substance that sort of drifted in the air and found its way into their mouths? Was it like some spiritual food? No, it was physical food that came down from heaven. But the properties and how they, how they ate, how, what God commanded them about eating, when they ate, why they ate, are all lessons today to teach us about feeding ourselves spiritually today. So they ate the manna in the wilderness, but what else did they eat in the wilderness? Quail, exactly. When I used to be a little kiddie, I used to read my little children's Bible that had lots of pictures in it. And there was this one picture where all these children of Israel were running around trying to catch quail. And I'm not quite sure if it was like that, but it left a vivid image in my mind. And I could never understand as a young little boy that they, they wanted quail, God gave them quail, then God struck them and judged them for eating quail. And I thought, that seems quite harsh to, to me as a little boy. Why, what, why was this story in the Bible? What is the Lord teaching us today? The spiritual foods. I want to read from Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 to 10 initially. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 to 10. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. So they despised the manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance was like that of bedellium. The people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones, beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly and Moses was displeased. And then going on to verse 18. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat, so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will befall you or not. And then in verse 31, Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. And the people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague, 
So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. Amen. Then I want to read also in Psalm 78, the same sort of uh, account, but just from a slightly different angle. Psalm 78, verses 17 to 31. And it says, Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck a rock so that waters gushed out. Streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath. And a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power he directed the south wind. He rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, or about of his camp, round about their dwellings. And so they ate and were well filled, and their desire he gave to them. But before they had satisfied their desire, while their food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of the stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. The manna and the quail. They ate spiritual food, the manna and the quail. So what does the spiritual food represent? I want to start with the manna initially. What does the manna represent? I mean, probably everybody in here will know what the manna represents. But if we go to John chapter 6, verses 48 to 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. We've just been taking the Lord's Supper. And in a very real sense, we have been partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. Not by feeding upon a physical body, but upon him who is Christ, the spiritual Christ, as we receive the bread and the wine. So if Jesus is the true manna, he is the bread of life, the living bread that came down from heaven, how do we feed upon him today? By feeding upon his word. Jesus is the word, the word made flesh. The question is, when you read the word, are you meeting with Jesus, who is the Christ, as you read the Word? Jesus is the Word of God personified. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But when you read the Word, are you actually receiving something of Christ as you read that Word? Or are you just reading empty words on a page? Jesus said to the, the, uh, the Jews, he said, you search the Scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life it is these scriptures that testify about me but you are unwilling to come to me it's just so incredible that these people who literally had the word of God himself 
right in front of them could not perceive that this was the living bread that came down from heaven. And they were searching the scriptures. They were expert in the scriptures. They knew them back to front, left to right, etc., etc. They, they knew the scriptures far more than you or I will ever know them. Yet they did not know the scriptures. They did not know him who is the word. And what I'd like to say this morning is that the manna is this, almost like we should call it the special portion when you receive the words with eyes that see, when you, when, you, when you start reading the word of God with eyes that see and ears that hear. There are many people in the church today who do not have eyes to see and do not have ears to hear. And they sit week after week listening to verses being spoken to them from the front and those words are not penetrating their very soul because they, are, they never become the manna to them. They never become the living bread. They're just words on a page, information. The manner is something that is divine in operation. And it can only be, we can only receive the manner by the, by the working of the Holy Spirit. By those words actually becoming alive to us. Many people go to Bible schools, they go to seminaries, and they get educated in the Word of God. And you sit under their ministry, and you feel educated in an intellectual manner about the Word. I don't know about you, but I've been in churches like that a lot. Where you go and you hear expositions on the scripture. And you feel intellectually stimulated. And because maybe, like for, for example, we were in a sort of charismatic, faith, prosperity type environment in the past. And the word of God was, was quite relegated, just a few favorite scriptures the past would use. So then we will come into an intellectually driven church. And the word would have much more prominence. So you think this is much better. This is more the gospel. This is, this is the Bible being preached here. But after a time, you suddenly start to realize it's, it's, it's intellectually driven. It's, it's, it's not the spirit. And it's, it is biblical, but it's not spirit and in truth. And there's a huge difference. Because there's many people hearing the word, but there's not many people receiving the manna. And feeding upon the living bread. Jesus said it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit. And they are life. In Isaiah 55 and verse 2. The prophet says listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. How do we delight ourselves in abundance and eat what is good? By listening carefully to him. When we sit in with the word open in our desk, in our bedrooms, at the breakfast table, whatever we do, are we listening carefully to what the word actually says? Or are we just skimming through it and like it's just information? I believe the Lord wants to take many of us to the school of the spirit not the school of the university of the seminary or whatever. I mean, it, it can be good to get an education in the Word of God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but God wants to take you to the cave of Adullam or out to the wilderness where you will truly meet with him and start hearing his word and receiving the living bread, listening carefully to what he is saying to you. There came a time in my life where I had to basically choose between the, what the Word of God said and what my pastor was saying. Because what my pastor was saying was very dynamic and seemed very engaging and very real and very true. When he went, and when you'd listen, it sounded very real and right and true. 
But then I'd go to the Word of God, and the Word of God would say something else. And I had a choice. What do I do? Do I go with what I hear every day on a Sunday, or do I go with what the Word of God is actually telling me? And, and there's a balancing act. And God wants each of us to come to that place where you basically say, whatever your Word says, Lord, that's what I'm going with. Teach me your ways. Teach me your Word, Lord. Feed me the living bread. And when you have a heart that desires to learn and desires to know and is willing to put that above the precepts of men, God will then feed you his manna. And you will start discovering that your eyes are being opened, your ears are being unblocked, and you're starting to receive something which is living and real. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. How do we listen to the word? Do we listen to it like as a naturally minded man is just information to stimulate my intellect? Apathetic like a tick box exercise while well, I'm going to do my four chapters today? Or is it with an unteachable spirit? There are many people in the church today, especially in England and America, who have an unteachable spirit because they think they know something. And often they do know something. But the Bible says he who knows something should take care that he knows what, what he should know, or let me say exactly. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Often we get a hold of a revelation in the word and, and we suddenly think we know something, but pride jumps up in our heart immediately and we start becoming unteachable because all we see is this knowledge that we have and all we want to do is to tell everybody else what we've known. We've maybe seen a little glimpse of something here or a little glimpse of something there, but there's a whole ocean of revelation. The, the scriptures are exceedingly broad. And just because God has shown you something here does not mean that there's a whole wealth of truth in the scripture that we need to mine and need to find out and feed upon. Are we spiritually hungry? When we get a hold of the word of God, are we desiring to be fed that day? I remember a time in my life when the Lord started shaking me and taking me out of the whole faith prosperity movement and all that sort of craziness. And I started having a hunger for the Word of God. And I would sit down and I'd usually try and read the Bible. Whenever I was eating my food, I'd try and read the Bible and have a pattern in my life. And I'd actually start to get hunger pangs for the Word of God. The same as I'd get hungry for eating natural food, I'd start to get feel hungry in my spirit for the spiritual food. Because I was starting to eat. And when you start tasting of the good Word of God, you start wanting more and more. Are we hungry? Are we desirous of God that he would feed us? Are we like newborn babies desiring the pure milk of the word? Often in our family, we, we try and teach the children to read the word of God and to, to get into the word of God, but sometimes it feels like you're pushing a stone up a, up a mountain. <laughs> and you think, come on, do you not have a desire to read the word? And you need to instill that discipline in the children, of course. But if you have to push someone to read the word of God... Do they have a hunger for the Word of God? No, they don't. If I have to be pushed and told to read my Bible, that means I do not have a hunger for the Word of God. And I always think back, we've had five children, and when those children were born, when they were hungry, they let you know it. <laughs> and they didn't stop until you fed them. They would cry, they would scream, they would holler. And it started off gently, and then it would build up, it would build up, it would build up. And if you didn't feed them, pretty soon you would because you have no peace until you fed that child. And the Bible says to be like newborn babies, longing for the pure milk of the word. 
And how do we listen? Many people listen today through the lens of other people's opinions, through the lens of their favorite author, through the lens of a systematic theology that their denomination teaches. I am reformed, so therefore everything I see in the Bible is according to my reformed doctrine. I am Pentecostal, so everything that I see in the Bible is according to my Pentecostal doctrine. That is my preset software. And every time I read the Word of God, it just goes to that default setting, and I just read it according to that systematic theology that I want it to say. And instead of actually getting the word of God and when it challenges an existing belief to think, well, what do I do now? Do I, do I conform it to my existing beliefs or do I change my existing beliefs? That is the test as whether we are actually listening carefully to the word of God and actually taking seriously the word of God or not. Is the word taking you anywhere in your life? I remember times in my life where I'd come across something in the scripture and I thought, oh my goodness me. If I believe this, and if I take hold of this, it's going to take me to places which is going to challenge my lifestyle. It's going to take me to places where other people won't like me anymore because I'll be coming against what they teach and they preach and I'm going to offend people. Am I willing to do that for the sake of the word? Is the word my priority or are other people's opinions my priority? Is my denomination my priority? Is pleasing the pastor my priority? Is pleasing other people around me my priority? Or is pleasing Christ my priority? Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Are you feeding upon the word that comes from his mouth? Have you learned to feed upon him yet? Now, the manna is the testimony of Christ, both hidden and revealed in the scriptures. The Bible is all about one person, Jesus, who is Christ. We need to learn about him. The testimony of Christ is everything Jesus said, but also everything Jesus is and everything the scripture speaks of him in the scriptures. The Old Testament pictured Christ in so many ways as the coming one. Today we're going to talk about the, the manna that fell in the wilderness. Jesus said, I am the manna. Yes, it was a physical substance. Yes, you ate it. It was white. It was like coriander seed. It was all these physical characteristics. But that was all talking about me. I am the living bread. It was a picture. It was a type. It was, it was a shadow of the Christ who was to come. And, and I'm talking about the Exodus account. And we don't need to sort of go back to the Exodus account and go back to Egypt and go through the Red Sea physically, but we need to learn what that is in Christ and how it applies to us today. Everything in the Old Testament must be understood through the lens of Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of all. So often we get distracted trying to prove peripheral issues get involved in just such stuff which does not really make much of a difference whatsoever. But there's a central truth in the Bible and it is Christ crucified. And pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. That is the gospel. The manna came every morning and had to be eaten fresh every day. You remember they were not allowed to leave it till the next day? They had to eat it fresh every morning. Exodus 16, verses 19 to 21, Moses said to them, Let no man leave of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and it bred worms and became foul. The Israelites didn't have to go out hunting, foraging, trading. 
It was given as a free gift to them. The Lord provided the living bread every single morning. I think there is a wisdom in starting our day every single morning with the word of God. I try not to spend, start any day without getting into the word of God first. Usually I try and when I eat my breakfast, for example, this is just the way I do it. I get my Bible out and that's when I'll be reading. Because if you don't start the day properly, how are you going to then live that day? In Luke 11 verse 3, Jesus said, give us each day our daily bread. Our daily bread. It came fresh every day. God, God, will get, God has something fresh for you every single day. The scripture is so broad, but so many of us, we just center on the one thing God has shown us, and we just focus in on that, and that becomes a whole Christian world, be it creationism, Israel, discernment, reform, whatever it is. The scripture is so broad, and he has revelation for you every day, and he wants you to seek him every morning. Start your day right. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law. Our Lord connects receiving the manna daily with keeping his law. Now we're no longer under the law, are we? We're not under, under the Mosaic law anymore. But we are under the law of Christ, the royal law. We are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how do we do that? By feeding upon his word every day. If I go through the whole day and I don't speak to my wife, at the end of that day I'll know about it. <laughs> and if, we don't, if I go two days, three days, I'll really know about it. Because if I say that I love my wife, inherent in that statement that I love my wife is the fact that I want relationship with her and I will speak and I will communicate and she will communicate back to me and there is communication, there was openness, there is relationship if we say we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind and strength but we ignore his word can we say we are walking in his love any longer it's not a command that we like a letter of the law command but it is intrinsic upon us by the law of love that we read his word every day Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Not a legalistic command, but a love motiv motivational command. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If you continue in my word. There's many people who start the Christian life hungry for the word of God, but then somewhere along the line, they get offended, they get suckered in by the world, and the word of God starts to become not as relevant, not as important anymore, and they don't continue in the word. There is a need for us as believers to continue and have a routine, have a, have a discipline in our lives to get into the word of God every day. And sometimes it may feel like it's a bit dry, but we need to push on through and keep trying to hunger and search after those things of God until we get to the, the living bread and start feeding upon the word of God. There's a huge difference between reading the word of God and feeding upon the word of God. If you feed upon the word of God, you will grow strong. When a person feeds on good nutrition, he grows strong. I've heard a statement which says, you are what you eat. If we just eat milk shakes from McDonald's every day and 
sugar, donuts, and all that sort of thing, we will enlarge ourselves because we're eating the wrong sort of things. But if we're eating good things, we will grow strong and healthy. The Bible says we are to feed upon Christ, the living bread. And if you feed upon Christ, you will become like Christ. You are what you eat. If we feed upon Christ, we will start to be conformed into the image of Christ because we are continuing in his word. And if we continue in his words, we are truly disciples of his, and we will then know the truth, and the truth will set us free. There's many people in the church today who are not set free. Why? Because they're not continuing in his word, and that word has not become true in their hearts and their lives yet. Thirdly, the manna had to be gathered in. Pretty simple. God gave them the manna, but they had to get off their seats or whatever they were on, get out, and pick it up. So often our Bibles are sitting on our shelves or sitting dusty under a counter somewhere. And God has given us the manna. He's given us everything we need, the living bread, but we just don't bother getting it out and reading it, do we? It didn't just float into their mouths. There was a work they had to do, a work of love, to go out and read the word and invest that word into their hearts to take the time. There's a special responsibility for the manna of the house in this, of course, as well. The man of the house was to go out and collect the manna for all his household and make sure they ate the manna when they got it. We're all individually responsible, of course, but there's an added responsibility upon the head of the house to make sure his family is receiving their due daily allowance of manna, to make sure all in his tent are receiving their daily portion of manna. And the manna had to be processed before they ate it. When they collected it, they didn't just eat it straight away. The Bible says they would grind it with millstones, beat it in the mortar, boil it in the pot, and make cakes with it. A superficial reading of the Word of God will profit very little. We need to grind down into the Word of God with the millstones of diligent study. We need to go through testing times when the flames of the fires of the testings come up in our lives and find that the Word is true and is faithful and, and, and is proven true by our experience. I remember David and Shirley when they were here, they were talking about um, the testing they went through in, in Nigeria and how the Lord gave them a word. I mean, the Lord gave them his word, but there was one particular word that he gave them, which was um, Psalm 27, verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Everything around them was just teaching, speaking to them the opposite. You are not going to get out of this thing. Everyone's forgotten about you. You are under the power of people who hate you. You are not in control of yourself. Ian, your brother, has been killed. Everything is pointing and telling you that you are weak and you're not going to get out of this situation. Days are ticking on one after another, but the Lord had spoken. I will see the goodness of the Lord again in the land of the living. And because they took hold of that word and they kept hold of God and his faithfulness, his word was proven true in their circumstances and it became the manna that fed their souls. It became the living word because they knew that they could trust in this word that God had spoken to them. And the word became real. It wasn't just words on a page. It was something that was actually real. Something you could hold on to and take a hold of and, and establish your life upon it, found your life upon it. The manna was the perfect nutrition for all Israel. It's, the scripture says it tasted of the juices of oil, 
That meant it was satisfying and it filled them. And it combined with the wafers of honey. A foretaste of the promised land which was to come. A land flowing with milk and honey. As they ate the manna every day, they were getting a small foretaste of the great land to which they had been promised, the land of Canaan. Does the word of God taste good to you? The word of God has been constituted to provide the perfect balance of spiritual nutrition that you need to grow as a believer today. The revelation of Christ in the word of God is the sweetness that brightens the eyes. The honey from the rock which satisfies the famished soul. When you see something of the revelation of Christ in the word, all of a sudden the scripture just opens up and you you suddenly see Christ in the middle of a story in the Old Testament you've been familiar with for years and suddenly you see it with new light as honey from the rock. That's the sweetness of God's word encountering your soul. In Psalm 81 verse 16 it says, I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. And the manna was called the grain from heaven. It is divine in origin. Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven to feed his people. And when the Holy Spirit enlightens this written word and gives us insight into it, it is that point that the word becomes manna to our souls. Before that time, before that time it is just words on a page. It's just printed words that could be any book. But when the Holy Spirit fuses with that living word and produces light, produces revelation to your soul, that's when it becomes the manner which you can feed upon. It is divine in origin. Remember, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and many of them left him. And he said to his disciples, do you also want to go? And then Peter said to him, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Have you tasted of the words of eternal life yet? Have you tasted and seen that the word of the Lord is good? And the manna stopped being given once Israel entered Canaan. Joshua chapter 5 verse 12. The manna ceased on the morning after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had the manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Canaan, of course, represents the promised land, the millennial kingdom Israel was to receive, or we are to receive the inheritance from the Lord, the visible kingdom Christ will set up upon this earth. And we will partake of that kingdom on the day when Christ returns. And those who are found worthy to enter into that kingdom on that day will then be joined to him who is the literal bread of life. And the type and the shadow of the manna will no longer be necessary anymore because now we will feed upon him who is the living bread because we'll be joined as one body with him. Praise God. And the manna was the bread that the Israelites were commanded to eat. No other food was necessary. The quail was not necessary. They were not to ask for anything else. The Lord commanded them to eat the manna. Exodus 16, verses 15 and 16, Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. The manna was what they were supposed to eat for every day of their sojourn in the wilderness. They were not supposed to ask for anything else. They were supposed to receive the manna every day. Any other food was unnecessary. It was wrong. Believers must restrict their spiritual diet to the manna. 
not seek out any other food. Any other food is unkosher. It is unclean. Preachers must restrict their preaching to the living bread. Any other food is unclean, unkosher, not to be touched. And there's a danger if you do go after other food. There's lots of unkosher, unclean food in the church today. There's a lot of other gospels, half gospels, out in the church today. Gospels that appeal to the flesh. The Bible pictures these gospels as quail, as new meat, something that we should not go after. But the Israelites despised the gift of God. They despised the manna and they craved something new. Give me something new, Pastor. I'm bored with the old fashioned gospel message. I'm bored about hearing about the cross. I'm bored about hearing about the sanctified life and having to pick up my cross daily and following Christ. Give me something new. I've seen on YouTube, there's all sorts of clips, sound machines, uh, bright lights, smoke machines, dynamic worship, dynamic pastors and preachers. It sounds so alluring, so exciting, so, so exciting to the flesh. So what other spiritual food did the Israelites eat in the wilderness? Quail. Like the manna, the quail was also supplied supernaturally by God. God brought it, but it did not come from heaven. And it came because the people despised the manna. God would not have fed them quail if they did not despise his manna first. That's the only reason the quail came was because the people despised the manna. God had commanded them to eat. The Bible says our soul loathes this miserable food. Not for when we go chasing after other gospels, what we are in effect saying to God is, our soul loathes the miserable food that you have given us, the manna. But that is the most glorious food. It is the most wonderful food to feed upon Christ, who is the living bread from heaven. Where did the quail come from? came from the sea the manna came from heaven the quail came from the sea what did the seas represent in the scriptures Gentiles yes Revelation 17 verse 15 peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues where does the quail come from the philosophies of men it does not come from heaven it comes from the seas from the philosophies of men and there are many churches today Many pastors preaching today the philosophies of men. Bound up and spun to make it sound like it is the word of God, but it is not. It's the philosophies of men. It's not divine in origin. It was brought by God, but it was not from heaven. And what brought the quail in from the sea? Which winds? East and the south. East wind and the south wind. What does the east wind represent in the Bible? Remember Pharaoh's dream, seven ears of corn blasted by the east wind? Something bad happening, some, a curse of God coming in. Remember Jonah when he sat looking at Nineveh and the, the, the gird was killed and and he was blasted by an east wind and he wished to die. The plague of locusts was brought by the east wind. 
represents the curse of God. It was the east wind came from the from the um, Arabian Peninsula. It was a very hot, driving, nasty wind. Represents the curse of God. What about the south wind? The south wind promises something good. It is a gentle wind. In Job 37, verse 17, it says, He quiets the earth by the south wind. In the Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 16, it talks about how the south wind blows on the bride's garden, wafting out fragrances of its spices to her beloved. It's something that promises good. It's not like the east wind. East wind is harsh and cruel and drives. It's the curse of God. But the south wind promises something good. But what happens when you get a combination of the two, south wind and the east wind? You get something that promises good or seems to promise good, but in the end it will bring the curse of God. Can anyone remember a time when the, uh, the south wind and the east wind were combined in the Bible, in the book of Acts? <laughs> Storm, exactly. Acts 27 and verse 13, the apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. And he said we're, they were in fair havens. They, 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 Paul felt that they should not continue the journey because the Lord had shown him that there was disaster ahead. But what happened? There was a soft wind started, south wind started to blow. A gentle south wind started to blow. And it says that the sailors thought they had what they wanted. They thought they had what they wanted, so they set sail. Straight into the face of a crushing northeast wind. And of course we know what happened. The whole ship was eventually destroyed, but God graciously gave Paul and the lives of everyone on board uh, into Paul's hand. But the, the south wind promises something good, but the east wind brings the curse of God. The quail seems to promise something good. The reason I went into the faith prosperity movement was not because I was an out-and-out heretic thinking that I wanted to um, become a millionaire for the, and uh, get rich overnight. It was because I thought it promised something good and I was deceived. Many people go into error, go into the new sort of philosophies of men thinking this is something good. They see a church and they think they really appeal to the youth. We need, we need to bring our ch children into that church because they appeal to the young people and, and I can bring people to that church. I can't bring them to that other church that just preached this sort of old gospel. I need to bring them to this new church because it's dynamic, it's happening, and it's, it's exciting, and they meet in a snazzy place, and it sounds, it promises something good. But the east wind is slowly coming along. The quail promises good, the new revelation, but it eventually brings the curse of God. The Bible says he rained flesh upon them like the dust. The dust is cursed, of course, but they didn't know it. And as they ate that food, they were effectively bringing a curse into themselves. And their desire, their cravings, he gave to them. The quail will always come because of people's cravings, because of people's selfish desires, according to the lusts of their flesh. How many gospels preached in churches today are literally, to all intents and purposes, an excuse and an invitation to indulge self, just with a spiritual veneer and an airbrush over the top? prosperity gospel. I was in it for years. You can indulge greed and covetousness as much as you like, 
praise God, God is making me rich. The self-esteem gospel, the charismania gospel, the word of faith gospel, the light grace gospel, the seeker-sensitive gospel, they're all in different ways and different angles an excuse to indulge the flesh. Intellectual gospel. There's a lot of intellectual gospels out there today. Constantly affirming people. I've been in churches many times where you just... All you hear is gospels that make you feel good about yourself all the time and always just get all the positive scriptures from the, from the, from the Bible. And that's all you hear. And you never hear any of the bad ones or the ones that really sort of challenge you. And you, you can say, well, I'm preaching the Bible. And yes, you're preaching the Bible, but you're preaching one half of the Bible. But what about the other half? Therefore, knowing the, the goodness of the Lord and the severity of the Lord, there's a balance in all things. The Apostle Paul says, I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the crucified life is the gospel life. It's the life that you and I are called unto, to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And that will cause you to go through grief. That will cause you to go through trials and tribulations that you may think are completely unfair. And probably in a natural way of looking at it, they will be unfair. But God is doing his perfect work, as we heard earlier. The Bible says they were unable to satisfy their fleshy desire with the quail. And God will make sure it became loathsome to them and it will become loathsome to you if you follow after quail today. The Bible says, I will not, if you want quail, I'll give it to you. But it won't be one day, it won't be two days, it won't be five days, it won't be ten days, twenty days. It'll be for a whole month. Until you've got so much of it that it become loathsome to you. We were in the faith prosperity movement for about 17 odd years, I think it was. More than a month. But I tell you, it became loathsome to us at the end. And I saw many people in that movement where that false teaching and that error became loathsome to them. But some of them came out of it and they managed to keep on track with Christ. But many of them came out of it and were caused to stumble in their faith and they never would go to a church ever again. The pastor's just after my money. It's all a big con. There's no life in it. You see, the process starts if people get bored with the manna. They're maybe brought up in a church which teaches the full gospel, the proper gospel, the, the true gospel. But after a time, you sort of think, well, you know, is there something new? And then they see something exciting on YouTube or, or somewhere. They, maybe someone takes them to a service and they think, this is really dynamic. This is really going places. I like this. And they get sidetracked into some quail. Maybe through the, a book they get, through the internet, through a friend. And they discover quail and they start chewing upon it and start feeding upon it. And they think, wow, I've got the new revelation. I've got the new revelation. And that pride starts to build in their heart that we've got the new way. Those old people, they haven't got a clue. <laughs> we've got the new way of doing things. And I've been around people like this many times where, you know, we've got it. We've got the new revelation. All those old denominational churches, they, they haven't got a clue. They're just filled with old people who don't know what they're talking about. We've got the new revelation. But what you've got is a whole load of pride bound up and made to look like spiritual revelation. But they get a hold of the quail, and it's like the children of Israel. Once they got that quail, they couldn't stop gorging upon it. 
And there comes a period of time where you start gorging upon the quail and you think this is just the best thing on earth. You start getting other people, come to this church. They've just really got it going here and come along and they get other people gorging on the quail. But over a period of time, you start to realize that this quail doesn't taste very good actually. This new gospel that you're hearing is just full of hype, emotionalism, half-truths, spin. And you suddenly start realizing it's all hollow and it's not the truth. And it starts to become loathsome to your soul. And what happens then? Many people leave the church in offense. Bitterness, unfulfilled dreams. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. It says, Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason... God is sending upon them a deluding influence. If you do not receive a love for the manna, a love for the truth, for this reason, because you despise the manna, God will give you the quail. But you won't enjoy it. And in the end, it may cost you your life. For this reason, God is sending upon them a deluding influence, that they will believe that which is false, in order that all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. If you hate the manna, if you think I'm bored with the manna, I'm just bored with our old gospel, God will give you something else if that's what you want. He brought the quail. But it won't be good for you. Eating quail brought about the judgment of God, a very severe plague. These things are written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. Quail as a meat is a very strong and rich meat. If you eat quail, you can't eat much of quail because it's a very strong meat. It's not like chicken, which is much lighter meat. God says he will bring a strong delusion upon the people. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've gone back to people in the faith prosperity movement, which is what we were a part of, and tried to speak to them sometimes. And it's almost like you're hitting a brick wall. You're trying to tell them what your experience and what you've been through. And brother, sister, please listen to me. What, what you're feeding upon is not good. The way you're going is not good. This is, this is not the gospel. And it's almost like they, cannot, they have no ears to hear because God has given them over to a strong delusion. They have eaten the quail. It is a strong meat. It is a strong delusion. And it's so sad to see so many people that we've known in the past just continuing along this pathway that's going to lead to destruction. The quail came and fell around the midst of God's people, around the camp. God didn't put the quail somewhere about five miles away in the wilderness somewhere so that they would have to go out and seek for it. The quail fell in the midst of the camp, of his camp, around their dwelling places. I tell you, the quail is in the church today. It's in the midst of the people of God today. And the quail came in the evening, at twilight. The manna came in the morning, the quail came in the evening. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Why in the evening? Jesus said we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is his day. Night time is coming when no man can work. In a sense, the day began when Jesus, the son of light, the, the, 
the morning star was born and was incarnated into this world. And in the early days of the, the day of the Lord, the age of grace, the early church received the manna in the morning and they put together the word of God and we've been feeding upon that manna ever since, the word of God. It came abundantly in the morning. But Jesus said, night time is coming when no man can work. What is the night time in the Bible? Great tribulation, trouble, Jacob's sorrow, that great tribulation, that great shaking that will occur at the end of the age. What comes just before the night? Evening time, that twilight zone, that time when the light and the darkness seems to merge. I believe we're in that time right now. Just prior to the night time is the evening. Twilight is representative of the last days, and I believe we are in that time right now, without a question of a question in my mind. We are living in a day when the quail is falling around the camp in large numbers. The quail has always been there. False gospels have always been there throughout history, but the Bible seems to indicate in the last days that there will be an increase. Jesus said, watch out that people do not deceive you in those days. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. I will do this and they will deceive many. And I tell you, there are so many in the church today who are utterly deceived, thinking they've got the, the truth, thinking they've got the gospel. All they've got is a piece of quail in their teeth and that's what they're chewing on, not knowing that it will cost them their life. In Proverbs 7 and verse 9, it talks about the simple man who the, uh, the, the guy writing Proverbs saw at the window of his house and he was saying the simple man was going to her corner and it was twilight and she came out to meet him at the twilight. The, the woman dressed as a harlot, brazen of face. I have paid my sacrifices, I've done my religious duties, now come and lie with me, my, 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 my husband is no longer at home. Speaking of the harlot church, there are many simple Christians in the church today who are being deceived by going close to her doors and eating of her food because she is serving people quail. And there are many people who enjoy the fragrance of what she's offering to them. It was at twilight. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 and 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, manner. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. The quail came because it was according to their desires. How many gospels today is just an appeal to the flesh of man? It's not going to the heart of man and the soul. It's not challenging people to live right for God. It's not challenging people to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's giving people the easy way and saying, you can still go to heaven. This is your get out of jail free card. We call it salvation. Come to our church. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires who will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. They will turn away from the manna and they will turn towards tell you the south wind is gently blowing in our day today and the east wind is blowing too people can't see it the quail is falling all around the camp of God's people it's piling up as far as the eye can see are we going to eat of it 
Just because it's there, are we going to eat of it? Or are we going to warn those around us? In John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Do not work for the food which perishes. Quail is the food that perishes. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. God has given us the manna. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the treasure of the word of God, the richness of the living bread from heaven. How can we ever despise that and seek after something new? Say, Lord God, your word, I'm bored with that. Give me something new, God. Give me something new. Do not work for the food which perishes. As a church, we're celebrating 80 years today of of this body being in existence here. Are we going to be a house of manna? Are we going to be a house of bread for the future? What about the next 80 years? Is this going to be a, a sheepfold which has good food for the sheep? Or is this going to be a sheepfold which has, allows quail into its midst? I tell you, it's more and more difficult these days to find a church which actually teaches the, the true word of God today. And I know many people who are stuck in churches they don't want to be in but there's nothing else around within the locality for them to go to. And they will travel for miles and miles just to be in a safe sheepfold, one that feeds manna. And I think it's a challenge to us today. Will we be a church that feeds manna and has good food? It's called a house of bread for his people. Will we feed the manna? Will we stand for the manna? Will we feed upon the manna? Will we receive the manna? And will we point out the quail to those who need to be hearing the word of discernment in our day? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy and the blessings of your word and also the warnings contained in it. Father, we do pray that we would understand your word this morning and hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church through your word this morning. Feed us upon the manna, Lord. May we be full on the manna. May we be refreshed in the manna. May May we... be able to partake of the manna in our lives, O Lord our God. And help us to spot the quail when it comes. And we pray, Father God, that this church also will be a church which loves the manna and feeds the manna and is known as a place of manna, a house of bread. Help us to feed upon Christ, O Lord our God. Help us to feed upon him who is the word of God, the word made flesh. Help us to understand how to feed upon the word of God, not just to read the word of God. And may we become strong as we establish our lives and feed ourselves on the good food from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.